Okay, let's go ahead and um, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 25 this evening. How many of us are down at the fair today showing animals that are here right now? One in the back, two over here. Anyone else? It's pretty awesome this morning. We were, uh, Rory and I met and we uh, were working out together and then we always pray at the gym afterwards and uh, we were inside, we were praying and just the opportunity um, there's a lot of people in our church that are over there at the fairgrounds showing animals right now. And what a great opportunity for us is to be able to love on people, right? You have a couple responsibilities early on, having to show animals, etc., and then hanging around all day long. Your kids are there doing their chores and different aspects of responsibility. And, and yet as parents, you're there kind of encouraging them and supporting them, etc. And what a great opportunity it is to have conversations with people right next to you in the bay over from you or across the aisle from you. And just to be able to share the love of Jesus with them. What a great mission field the fair is, right? It's pretty awesome to see uh, so many people in our church involved in that. Uh, this evening, we're going to try and tackle two different chapters, chapter 25 and chapter 26, because we only have three more Wednesdays together here in the park, and we're trying to get to Proverbs 31. So we're going to do two today, um, and then Rory will tackle all the rest of them after that. No, we have two more guys coming in, and hopefully maybe perhaps one of those guys can do two, two chapters, and then Rory will finish this off, um, finishing up the book of Proverbs here um, in three more weeks. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Proverbs chapter 25. And the Proverbs go on and say that in the same way, the king's heart is a mystery to his subjects, but his glory and his wisdom um, are seen in his capacity to tap into this God-given wisdom and understand some of the mysterious matters of God, especially when they pertain to matters of state and matters of administering justice, right? And so we have the opportunity to, to search the mysteries of God and how we are to govern, right? As Christians, we can search the mysteries of God, His Word. We have the Holy Spirit to reveal to us how we are to lead our families as husbands, as wives, how we are to come alongside our husbands, how we are to um, raise our children, um, as church leaders, how we are to govern the church, as community members, how we can come alongside and help uh, encourage and lead and be vital members of our community. And we have God's word in order to do so. I'm going to knock that over. I keep backing up. We have, we have God's word and God's spirit to teach us how to do these things. And so uh, the word mystery, it talks about things that were once hidden, now revealed. Right, And so God is now revealing to us how we can do these things. And so verse 4 goes on. We're going to just rip right through these things because many of them we've already heard before. Right, We're 25 chapters into Proverbs and some of these things are familiar to us. So we're just going to tap them and move on. Right, Verse 4. Take away the dross from silver and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Take away the wicked from before the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. Now, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says this, bad company corrupts good morals, right? Bad company corrupts good morals. I like how it says in the literal emphasis translation. You guys ever heard of the literal emphasis translation? No? No? It's, it's a good translation to look at every once in a while. And it says this, do not be misled. 
Bad companionship corrupts beneficial ethics. I like that. Bad companionship corrupts beneficial ethics. And in order to get to purify silver, a silversmith will put it in, you know, into the fire and allow the dross, those impurities, those impure metals to rise to the top. And then he slags that stuff off the top, right? And then he's able to take that and make it into a, a beautiful, uh, valuable silver vessel. In the same way, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, is telling us here that if a king desires to establish his kingdom in righteousness, he needs to get rid of the wickedness in his court, right? And bringing that home to ourselves, it's simply this. If we as husbands, if we as wives desire to raise or to establish righteousness in our homes, then we need to get rid of those things that are wicked in our homes, those things that are wicked in our hearts. For those of us who own companies, um, in order for the Lord to establish your company in his righteousness, get rid of those things that are displeasing to him. Pretty clear. Makes sense, right? Sure. Thank you. Well, that, <laughs> just sure. Makes sense. Right? Get rid of those things that are wicked. If you want to establish your kingdom in righteousness, your home, your family, your marriage in righteousness. Get rid of those things that God calls wicked. Not the things that, that our culture is okay with, but the things that God calls sin and wicked and evil. Get rid of those things so that your marriage, your home, your family will be established in righteousness. Moving on. Verse 6. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Now, this sounds kind of familiar, right? Luke chapter uh, 14, verse 11, Jesus talked about this. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And just before that, he kind of tells this same kind of story. If you're invited to a party, he says, don't take the best seat, right? Take the lowest seat. If you take the best seat, what happens if the, the guy who's throwing the party comes in and says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Daryl, um, can, can you move that, that seat save for someone who's more important than you, right? And then you, you're embarrassed. You have to get up and you got to make that kind of walk, that shameful walk back to the lowest place. He says, no, take the lowest place. And so when the host comes in and goes, Daryl, what are you sitting back here for? Why are you sitting at the kids' table? Come on up, right? Come on up and sit up here next to me at the head of the table. And so Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 14, verse 11. So the, the principle is it's far better to let others promote you to a higher rank than to be demoted and humiliated, right? Moving on, verse 8. Do not go hastily to court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. So here again, Jesus spoke something like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 25. Also in Luke 12, verses 57 through 59. Paul picks it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In fact, he even says this. To your shame, you are taking your neighbor to court, right? To your shame, you're doing these things. And he even says, is there not a wise man among you who cannot sit there and, and kind of mediate between you, right? Later on, he would even say this in Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 18. As much as it depends upon you, 
live peaceably with all men. And so the Proverbs is telling us, hey, don't go to court. Don't be hasty about your decisions. Go, you know, you may not have all the information. You may not understand the intent or motivation of the person and what they're, why they did what they did. Go to them. Talk with them. Look what he says here. He says, um, debate your case with your neighbor. Debate your case with your neighbor. Go talk to them. Don't be offended and go off and pout and get all puffed up and then go tell other people about how the fact that Maria upset me. Right? She offended me. Can you believe that she did that to me? No. Go to them and talk to them and keep it to yourself. Don't go tell the neighbor on the other side, can you believe it? You know what Jose and Maria have done? No, keep it to yourself, right? Do not disclose this secret to another. Moreover, the wise will deal confidentially and directly with his neighbor with whom he has a dispute. Moving on, verse 11. This is kind of quick. Bam, bam, bam. Quick fire, right? You guys following? Bam, bam. We don't need to spend a lot of time here, but it's quick. We're moving on because we got a lot lots to cover. Almost 60 verses today. So verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver, like an earring of gold and an, and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. There's something that is special and powerful about a, a word that's fitly spoken. The right word at the right moment has the power to heal and the power to strengthen, has the power to guide and the power to rescue, and has the power to rebuke. When a, a wise rebuker finds a humble ear, man, fruit can be born in the heart of the individual, right? If you come humbly and someone comes to you and you have a humble heart and they're bringing correction-wise counsel to you and you heed it and you listen to it, you are, you are going to be better off for it. But the opposite is also true. If someone comes, they have wise counsel and you you disregard it, you rebel against it, you get upset, how dare you talk to me like this? And in fact, you're robbing yourself perhaps of something that the Lord wants to do in your life, in your own heart. And so here again, this idea of a wise rebuker who meets an obedient ear, he says it's like a beautiful, it's like beautiful jewelry, an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold. Verse 13, like a cold, like the cold of snow on the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. The refreshing, invigorating nature of a cold, drink on a warm, hot summer day. Not much is better than that, right? <laughs> Yesterday we were over at the Teskies and we were branding and I did not have my water handy. And by the time we were done, I was like, I was super thirsty. And luckily my water was inside the cab of the vehicle and I pulled it out. It was so cold, so refreshing, so good. And with that same idea here, he talks about, did you bring your EpiPen, Alan? Because I didn't bring mine. This bee is bothering me. He talks about the refreshing, invigorating nature of a cold drink on a hot summer day. It illustrates the blessing of a faithful messenger to those who send him. And God wants his people to be faithful messengers of the gospel and his work. Just as we were talking about the fair, right? What a great opportunity at the fair to go and just be a faithful messenger of the gospel and of his work. 
telling people as much as often and as many ways as possible about the faithfulness of God. Verse 15. Oops, verse 14. Sorry, verse 14. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus talked about in the New Testament. Hey, you guys know, you can read the weather, right? You're, you're kind of up on the weather patterns, right? Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. We know these things, right? You're up on all this stuff, he says. So we understand the concept that's, that's talking here about clouds and wind without rain. I used to live in California, and, and we lived in a place where it would get 100 degrees in May, and it would stay 100 degrees all the way until September, and so you'd have these back-to-back-to-back 110-plus days for weeks on end and not a cloud in the sky. And I kid you not, I would pray almost every day, God, please, one cloud. Just just give me one cloud today. And I'd step outside like, oh, no clouds, right? And then you'd see a cloud, you're like, oh, Lord, please, maybe there might just be a drip, a drop, a sprinkle of water today. Please, something just to refresh just refresh me from this heat, this devastating heat. But when we see that, we expect when we see these clouds coming in and they're dark and they're heavy, we're thinking, oh, they're going to bring rain, especially in this area where we've had drought for a long time, right, in this area. It's kind of weird how we live in this little pocket where it rains on the mountains, you know, to our to our west and it rains in the, and snows in the mountains to our east. But here, man, it doesn't rain that much. We kind of live in this pocket where we just don't get anything. And so any kind of clouds we get in the spring and the summer, we're like, please, please bring some rain, right? But he's talking about a person who gives these false boasts of, hey, I'll be there. Or you can count on me. Or sign me up. Or you know what, I'll donate this much money. And they have no desire to fulfill that at all. And he says they're just like clouds that have the promise of rain but don't deliver. And the wise, on the other hand, will follow through with their promises. We need to be people who whose yes means yes and whose no means no. Verse 15. By long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. I like how the message translates this. It says, patient persistence pierces through indifference and gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. So the idea here is that wise, persistent, uh, soft, gentle, humble words break through to tough people and persuade them. And all of us know people who are just hard. They're just tough, right? And you've talked to them, you've shared with them, you've shared your heart, maybe you've shared the gospel with them, and they just don't, they just don't budge. I have people in my family who are that way. They just, they are just set. And everything around them is telling them, hey, God is real and turn to the Lord and things happen in their life. And it's like, do you know that God saved you for a reason? It was God's grace upon your life that you're protected from this or from that. Do you see God's grace in your life that gave these things to you? Do you see it? And they're like, no, don't see it. I don't care. But this persistent, wise, soft, gentle words eventually will break down their defenses and soften their hearts. So be encouraged by that. Verses 16 and 17 says, Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled, and it 
and you vomit. It just makes me laugh every time I read that. I don't know why that makes me laugh. But he's talking about this idea of uh, you found honey, eat as much as you need, not as much as you want, right? As much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Seldom set your foot in your neighbor's house, lest you become weary um, of you and hate you. So this, the idea here is this. Too much of a good thing is not necessarily a good thing, right? It's not necessarily, it, can be a, it can be a bad thing. So honey is pleasant and beneficial to eat, but excess, but eating in excess, it can cause you to become sick. And similarly, similarly, he says, visiting a neighbor is pleasant and it's enjoyable for both parties for a time. And then you can wear out your welcome. Be wise that you don't wear out your welcome and then somehow injure your friendship. When we first moved here, I was so blessed because Rory was like, man, come stay with me. I'm like, we're going to be here a month. Come stay with me. It'll be awesome. I'm like, no, we'll find a place. Like, no, it'll be awesome. Come stay with me. In the back of my mind, I was thinking about this verse. Literally, I was thinking about this verse going, okay, it will be awesome for like the first 29 days. <laughs> and then the 30th day, they'd be like, oh, gosh, please leave. <laughs> you know? And so just wisdom there. And so the idea is that moderation preserves the pleasure of pleasant things. Moderation preserves the pleasure of pleasant things. Verse 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. A club, a sword, and a sharp arrow, those are weapons of war, right? They're meant to inflict pain, to wound, and to even kill. And the wisdom here is that a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is just like these weapons, right? To inflict pain and wound, and perhaps even kill. Verse 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad foot, or sorry, bad tooth, or a foot out of joint. Now, I've been blessed. I haven't had a ton of cavities. I've only had one in my entire life. I'm 50 years old. Wow. I had one, by God's grace. My mom, on the other hand, born in, in Germany, didn't have a lot of nutrition. I don't think she has a, a single real tooth in her mouth, unfortunately. And some of us have experienced pain. We've had cracked teeth. We've had, you know, perhaps abscesses. And, you know, we've had other things. I remember when I was in high school, uh, was, we were practicing football, tackling drills. And my chin strap came unbuckled. And my face mask hit my, hit my front tooth. And I remember watching my front tooth spin out of my mouth in midair. And I, think, I, thought, I remember thinking, that was my tooth. And as soon as I took a breath in, I realized that my root was hanging out of my tooth. And it was probably 15 minutes into practice. And we still had an hour and 45 minutes left of practice to go. And I went to my coach and I said, Coach, my tooth fell out. And he said, so? And I said, it hurts really bad. I can't breathe. He goes, just put your lip over it just like that and quit talking. And so I had to run sprints and everything the whole time with the, my my mouth like this. And it was painful. I remember the shooting pain into my brain. And I was just thinking of yesterday of Rory's broken foot, right? Yesterday he injured it again. I'm like, I always have been, and we understand how unfortunate that is, how inconvenient stuff like that is. And here there's nothing worse perhaps than a toothache, nothing worse perhaps than a broken foot, except, except putting your confidence in an unfaithful man in time of need. And so here the idea is the wise will choose their friendships carefully. Verse 20. 
like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda. Now, the word soda can also be translated wound. It's probably a better translation, wound, putting vinegar on a wound, right? Makes more sense. Um, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. The message says this, singing light songs to a heavy heart is like pouring salt in your wounds. Has you ever had that happen before? Not comfortable, right? Just yesterday we were, we were branding at the Teskies and I got some rope burns on my fingers. And I remember washing my hands afterwards and just the cold water alone, just cold, fresh, clean water on a simple little rope burn. I was like, <laughs> it hurts so bad, right? I can't even imagine taking salt and pouring it into a wound, how painful that would be. But the Bible tells us this, that the wise know how and when to sorrow, and they know how and when to rejoice. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4 says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so the warning is, is understand your audience and do accordingly, right? Verse 21 and 22, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For uh, so you will heap coals of fire upon his head and the Lord will reward you. That sound familiar? New Testament, Jesus talking about kind of the exact same thing, almost word for word, right? The same idea. The idea is if your enemy is hungry, go get him some lunch. If he's thirsty, buy him a soda pop, right? Get him something to drink. That's the idea. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness, and God will reward you. Verse 23, the north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. And so we know when the winds change direction and it starts coming, coming down from Canada, Man, there's going to be a fierce storm coming in. We're going to get some snow. We're going to get some precipitation. The same idea is here is that is this idea of um, a backbiting tongue. It stirs up anger among people. Solomon is using this argument of cause and effect here. In the same way the north wind brings rain, speaking ill of others provokes them to anger. And so the wisdom is don't speak ill of other people, right? Pretty, pretty clear, pretty simple. Um, verse 24. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Sounds familiar. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9. Right? He talked about living on a rooftop is much better than going down and living in the house with that woman. Right? And it's just, it can be a woman, it can be a man. It's just talking about a contentious spouse. It's miserable living under a roof with someone who's constantly picking at you, picking fights with you. You know, everything you do, they're, they're negative about how you, you put the, the, how you fold clothes, where you put, you know, the, the towels, you know, how you put the food back in the, in the refrigerator, how you load the dishwasher. They're always nagging, always nagging, always nagging. It could be a husband, it could be a wife, but they're always, it's never good enough. It's absolutely miserable to be in that position. And so wisdom is, don't be that person. <laughs> don't be that person. Be gracious. Be kind. You're not the Holy Spirit, right? Allow the Lord to do those things. Just serve each other and love each other and accept each other just the way that you are. When you were dating, you loved 90% of that person. 10% you thought, oh, I can deal with that. Now that you're married, you focus on the 10%. And you forget about the 90%. 
Focus on the 90%. Love each other. Love the wife that God has brought to you. Love the husband that God has brought into your life. Adore them. Cherish them. Amen? Amen. Verse 25. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a, fair, or from a far country. When a person is weary, perhaps you're out, I don't know, you're, you've been working fence all day, walking miles. Where is Chris Newell? Walking fence all day long, right? And you're just exhausted. You forgot your water that day. It's hot, right? And you're just looking for the opportunity to, to be refreshed, to be encouraged. And this idea of cool water, again, is greatly refreshing. In the same way, good news from a far country refreshes the gospel. Or refreshes the heart. This morning I had an opportunity to talk to, to Micah Corwin um, in Cyprus. I talked to him for like 45 minutes on the phone and just hearing how, kind of how things are going with him and have the opportunity to pray with him and hear kind of what's in store, the future for them, etc. It was just so good to hear his voice and to hear good news from a far country, right? In the same way, we are called to bring good news, right? The gospel to people. And we're blessed because the Lord has stirred um, the, the hearts of the leadership of this church to be involved in missions, right? And just recently, just an opportunity in Africa. And our heart is, man, just as, let's just bless this ministry there. Let's just encourage them so they can build a well there to, to bring fresh water to people, to encourage them, right? To satiate their thirst. And not just Africa, but obviously Nepal. We've been involved in, in other areas as well. And so it's just so encouraging to be a part of what God is doing, bringing good news to far countries. Verse 26, a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. So the same idea of, of trying to find fresh water. Can you imagine being out hunting? I remember years ago we were hunting, or sorry, we were fishing down on the Donner and Blitzen rivers off the Malheur watershed. You guys know where that's at? No? You know where Malheur River is? You guys know where Eastern Oregon is? It's there. Okay. <laughs> right in there. Southeastern Oregon. And we were hiking in. You kind of get down um, to where the road stops and you start hiking. And we hike in five miles and you, you kind of shimmy down the shale rock cliff till you get down to where the Blitzen is. And it is just absolutely beautiful. You're just in this canyon for days. Tons of snakes, though, I will say. Tons and tons and tons of snakes. Right, like we would literally not count how many snakes we saw in an hour, but we try to see like how you know how many uh, steps we could take without seeing a snake. There was that many, and anyways, we're there, and uh, one of the guys was sitting there pumping water at night through his filter, and then it was dark, and all of a sudden, off comes the filter, and goes down the river, and we're out there in the middle of August, in southeastern Oregon, and it was hot. And so for the next five days, we're boiling water to drink. And drinking hot water is not fun when it's super hot outside. And then we had to hike out. And so we loaded our water bottles with hot water. You know, and you don't want to pack a lot of that with you, you know. And we hiked out through the desert, got to where we're at. We got to, finally got to French Glen. If you guys have been to French Glen, there's a little store there. And outside, they had this oak barrel. And inside that oak barrel, there was... Uh, Henry's Weinhardt vanilla sodas. And I was like, I popped like four tops real quick and drank those. And my buddy goes inside and he goes straight for the refrigerator, the cooler. And I'm thinking, he's going to grab like some waters. So I go in there, what are you grabbing? He's drinking buttermilk. Out of the cooler. 
I'm like, help. <laughs> but anyways, the idea here, <clears throat> where were we? <laughs> uh, what verse are we on here? 26. 26, thank you. I got lost in my story. So when a weary traveler comes across a polluted water source, right, it produces disbelief and disappointment. And uh, this is an apt metaphor for the profound disillusionment one might feel when they see the righteous yield to evil. And so the righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. Verse 27. It's not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's glory is not glory. This is all about self-promotion. Right? It's not smart to stuff yourself with sweets, and it's not good to be consumed with seeking praise or glory for yourself. Pretty simple. Verse 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And so this is just talking about, you know, the first one was self-promotion. Verse 27. This is talking about self-control. A person who is without self-control is like a house without windows and his doors are knocked out. Not the best safe place to be, especially in wintertime, right? Incredibly cold, not secure. But a man controlled by the Holy Spirit um, has far better prospects. So that was chapter 25. Okay, chapter 26. We're still good? Right. Chapter 26 is an interesting chapter. He talks about the fool. He talks about the lazy man. Then he ends up talking about people who are always getting in other people's business. Right? Always sticking their nose in other people's business. You have to say it that way. You can't say business. Right? Right, Lynn? You can't say business. Bidness. Okay? The first uh, 12 verses here of chapter 26 speak specifically to the fool. What is a fool? This is a definition from a man named Wiltke. He says, they are people with morally deficient characters that prompt their irrational behavior. They are blockheads because deaf to wisdom from their distorted moral vision. They delight in twisting the values that benefit community. They love to undermine the moral standards of people and community, right? So with that, verse 1. As snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. As snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. It's out of place, right? Can you imagine? I was just talking to uh, to Adam. Adam's telling me he's going to have to leave a little bit early. Uh, he's got to go bail. He's got some some hay down. I know that some other people have some stuff down, some grass, some hay, um, you know, some alfalfa down. They got to get back and bail that stuff. Can you imagine if all of a sudden that? We just got hit with three feet of snow tonight. I know. I was like, please, Lord, no. Can you imagine what that would devastate the harvest, wouldn't it? Three feet of snow, and it was a three-week-long cold spell, and that snow just sat there for weeks and weeks and weeks on it, and then slowly melted off would destroy the harvest. And snowfall in winter would be out of pl- um, snowfall in summer would be out of place and catastrophic for the harvest. In the same way, honor for a fuel or fuel for a fool is out of place and can lead to, to disaster. Verse two: Like a, a flitting sparrow and a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. 
This uh, pertains to what is not fitting for the innocent. The previous verse dealt with what was not fitting for the fool. Honor is not fitting for the fool. And here, accepting a curse, allowing it to weigh you down, is not fitting for the innocent, right? Years ago, I was in Brazil and uh, pastoring there. And this these people come in and they, they want us to write a letter so they can come to the States. He says that God told me that I have a word to deliver in America. And I'm like, okay, great. He goes, and you're the guy that's supposed to write me a letter so people will accept me. And I'm like, okay, well, sit down. Let's talk about this. And I said, so what's the word? I don't know. Wait, wait. You said God gave you a word that you have to come to America and speak this word. That's right. What's the word? I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, let's try this. Where at in America? I don't know. On the west? I don't know. On the east? I don't know. North, south? I don't know. You don't even know the region you're supposed to go to? No, I, I don't know. Like, man, I, I, I got to really pray about this. I got to really seek the Lord. Comes back next week and he brings his wife. He says, this is my wife. She's a prophet. And she has a word for you. I said, okay, yeah, let's sit down. So after church is over, we sit down, and there's a guy named Israel who's there, and he's a Brazilian, and he speaks English, and he's going to be my interpreter. And so he starts interpreting, and she doesn't speak English, and so she starts interpreting, and she says, hey, God gave me a word that he's healed you. You have this, this problem, right? You have this, this issue. And uh, I said, oh, really? Yeah, God's already healed you, and you know it. And I'm like, I, I do? Yeah, you know it. God has healed you from this already. You've already felt it. God's healed you right now. You feel it. Okay. This is good. Well, what is it? She goes, well, you had, you had a disease in your reproductive organs. And I go, really? And she goes, yeah. I go, is that why I can't have any children? And she goes, yeah, that's why. Just then Sarah runs behind me. Right, my daughter runs behind me. Right behind me. And I'm like, oh, hey, Sarah. That's, that's my daughter. And I realize that they're just trying to manipulate to get me to do something that is not true, not honest, not right. And so this idea here of the innocent not receiving a curse that isn't true. And so this idea here is he says, hey, this pertains to, uh, to what is not fitting for the innocent, a flighting sparrow, a, a flying swallow. They don't land. You've seen them. They're flying around. They never seem to touch the land or touch uh, you know, a tree branch, and neither should a curse without cause. And Wilkie says this, the proverb infers that the undeserved, unfitting curse is ineffective because the sovereign does not back it up. Right? God's not in it. He doesn't bear witness to it. Right? So don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. If it's not from the Lord, don't listen to it. Does it make sense? Kind of confused you a little bit with my story tonight. Sorry. Moving on. Verse 3. <laughs> a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. So a whip and a bridle are meant to control an animal. In the same way, a rod is the only implement that will discipline and get the fool in under control. But the wise know better. Psalm 32 verse 8 tells us this. God says, I will instruct you teach you in the way that you should go. God says, I will instruct you. Don't, if you're humble and you're seeking after the Lord, you don't need the rod, right? There's an old statement that sometimes, uh, this old story of a, an old farmer, and he's trying to get this, this mule into the back of his trailer. 
And the one farmer is, is driving by, and he sees him. He's pulling and pulling and pulling, and he can't get in there, so he stops and just watches it for a while. I think that some people like to watch other people's misery a little bit too much. And so he's just watching this guy. He's pushing from behind. He's getting the carrot out, trying to draw him into the trailer. You know, He's got the lead rope. He's doing all kinds of things. He takes him out, tries to bring him back in, and takes him out, tries to bring him back, and he won't get in the trailer. And finally the old farmer gets out and walks over there and says, what's going on? He says, I'm trying to get this donkey in the trailer. He says, well, you got a two-by-four? He says, yeah. And so he gives him those two by four. He walks over and smacks this donkey over the eyes with this thing and then picks up the lead rope and leads him right in. And the guy says, that's incredible. How'd you know how to do that? And he says, well, sometimes you just got to get your attention. And sometimes for us, God has to get our attention. If we're humble, he doesn't have to use the rod. Does that make sense? If we're humble and we listen to him, he doesn't have to use the rod in our lives. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. This whole section, verses 4 through 12 here, is all kind of combined. And so the idea here is don't respond to the stupidity of a fool with stupid things. Right? You only look foolish if you do so. And then in verse 5, he says it can be the opposite. Verse verse 4, he says, don't respond to them, right? Don't answer them. And then verse 5, he says, now you are to answer them. Answer the fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so answer a fool. There's times when you don't answer. There's times when you do. But when you do, answer a fool in simple terms so he doesn't get a swollen head. Verse 6. He uh, sends a messenger by the hand of a fool, cuts off his own feet, and drinks violence. In other words, you're only asking for trouble when you send a fool. Sorry, send a message by the fool. Verse 7. Like the legs of the lame... That hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So the legs of a crippled man are absolutely useless. And so is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Verse 8. Like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. So a sling and a stone can be a formidable weapon, can't it? We read that in the story of David and Goliath. It can be a formidable weapon. Honoring of a fool becomes just as dangerous um, as a stone thrown from a sling. So you kind of get the the theme here over and over again, right? He's talking about this fool and what they do and what they don't do. They shouldn't be honored and don't trust them with a message and all these different things. Verse 9, like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. One commentator said this I thought was really good. He said, to ask a moron to quote a proverb is to put a scalpel in the hands of a drunk. Not wise. Bad things will come, right? Verse 10. The great God who formed everything gives the fool his, his hire and the transgressor his wages. And so God's guidance and governing over all things extends even to the fool, even to the transgressor. His common grace extends, but he also assures us that they will get their just rewards. Verse 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. We also read that in the New Testament. Anybody who has ever had dogs understands that this actually happens, doesn't it? Actually, my dog just did this the other day. And I was like, what are you doing, Harvey? He said, it was good the first time. It's going to be good the second time. (laughs) Right? It's disgusting. And so here Solomon uses repulsive imagery to show show the um, incorrigible nature of the fool, right? The fool just has a tendency to recycle 
is foolishness. Same patterns of behavior, same drama, over and over and over again. Verse 12, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So in one sense, there is a man who's worse off than a fool. The Proverbs tells us it's a man who's wise in his own eyes. Worse than a fool is the deluded fool, right? And so again, don't be that guy. Then beginning in verse 13, he begins to change to the lazy man. The lazy man. And he says this, the lazy man says, there's a lion in the road and a fierce lion in the streets. And so he wakes up in the morning, he goes out, he pulls back the curtains and he sees a lion in the road. You guys know anything about kind of this geography, anything about what it was like back then when this was written? There weren't a lot of lions back then. Right, So it wasn't something that you would see, but he's trying to use any possible excuse he possibly can to not go to work. He opens up the curtain, looks outside and goes, oh, there's a cloud. I'm not going to work today. It could rain. Right? Or look, uh, red sky in the morning. Right? So what does that mean? It means, man, it's going to be hot today. So I better not go outside. I might get sunburned. Right? So any excuse he possibly can make not to work, he's going to come up with it, is the idea here in verse 13. Verse 14 carries the idea, as a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. Same idea. He understands the needs before him. He understands responsibilities that are before him. And what does he do? He thinks about it. He goes, oh, man, there's so much to do today. And he rolls over just like a hinge. A door turns on its hinges. He rolls over and pulls the covers over his head and goes, "Uh, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. And so that's the same heart the same character of a lazy man. Verse 15, the lazy man buries his hand in a bowl and it wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. Now, I have been tired. I have been weary, but I have never been that weary where I cannot even lift the fork to my mouth, right? Anyone here ever been like that? No, right? So this is like the characteristic of a person who's truly, truly lazy, that they're going to waste away and starve because they're too lazy to even feed themselves. Verse 16, the lazy man uh, is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer um, sensibly. And so the idea of seven men he's talking about is the very minimal amount of people that you had to have to have a Jewish council with seven men, right? And so the idea here is a lazy man thinks that he's he has clever excuses to get out of work, make him wiser than these trained, patient, mature men. Um, and this is a bad place to be. Why? Because look at verse 12. Remember what it says. This kind of person who's wiser in his own eyes, it says there's very little hope for this individual. And then we come to 17 through 28. We're almost done. Home stretch. 17 through 28. And here he broadly addresses those individuals who are constantly sticking their nose in other people's business, right? There are some individuals, they love being the person that, hey, if you want to know what's going on in the community, I'm the person to talk to. If you want to know what's going on in the church, come talk to me. If you want to know what's happening in our neighborhood, everybody knows that's the person to go to. And some people really enjoy that. But here the the scriptures tell us to beware of people like this. And so in verse 17 it says, He who passes by and meddles in the quarrels, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. You imagine some dog, a couple weeks ago we had two dogs here that run around while we were eating. Remember that where those two dogs were around? Can you imagine reaching down and grabbing one of those dogs by the ears? What could happen? 
probably not good, right? Probably, probably not good, right? And the same idea here is this, hey, grabbing or meddling in other people's affairs, inserting yourself where you shouldn't is not a wise decision. Better mind your own business than get caught up in someone else's fight for no reason. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. Where a man comes to him, he's a Pharisee, and he brings this dispute, and Jesus goes, hey, who made me judge and um, arbitrator over you? In other words, what he's saying is this. He's refusing to take another person's offense, to take up another person's offense. Like, oh, my goodness, you know, Russell was offended. Well, who offended you, Russell? Well, my dad offended me. Well, then I'm going to be mad at your dad, too, right? And Jesus says, don't do that. That is not good. How often we do do that, though, don't we? Where we find out someone we care about has been offended or hurt, and we take up their offense, and we have hard feelings towards another person that never did anything to us, but we take up another person's offense. And Jesus is telling us, don't, don't do that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, verse 9, he tells us, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the kingdom of the earth. Right? Blessed are the peacemakers. You and I cannot do that if we allow ourselves to be drawn into others' squabbles with each other. Instead, the Bible tells us, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Verse 18 and 19 are combined. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. I was just kidding. Not real, right? I like how... uh, The message puts it, people who shrug off deliberate deceptions saying, I don't mean it, I was only joking, are worse than careless campers who walk away from smoldering campfires, right? Not not real wise, is it? To walk away from a smoldering campfire, all it takes is a little bit of wind and, man, devastation can happen. It's the same thing as he's talking about here. Then in verses 20 through 22, all combined together, uh, where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. As charcoal is to burn, burning coals and fire and wood to fire, so a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a tailbearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. And so again, the idea here is slanderers and contentious people, their whole heart is to stir up trouble and division. Uh, and this, uh, their deeds are destructive and volatile. But when they're removed from the equation, things begin to settle down. And wise men and wise women know to avoid such people. Verse 22 is actually a repetition from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 8, almost identical. It says, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So in verse uh, chapter 18, verse 8, he talks about delicious morsels. Here he talks about tasty trifles. Why do you think it is that we love gossip so much? We do, don't we? We eat it up. Who's doing Who's doing what? And... and and what, what are they doing? What ha- what happened to who? So-and-so broke up? <gasps> right? We love that stuff, don't we? Why? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves is why we do it, right? It makes us feel better about ourselves. And so the wise will neither spread gossip nor keep company with gossips. Verse 23, fervent lips with a wicked heart are like 
earthenware covered with silver dross. Dross is a stuff that the slag that's taken off the top of silver when it's heated up. It's still shiny, right, at times. And so some guys would take this dross, they would melt it down, they'd spread it over the top of earthenware that had cracks in it. And from the street, man, it looked like silver. It looked good. But up close, under closer inspection, or when you put something hot in it, all of a sudden it would leak, right? And it wouldn't be any good. It would be absolutely worthless. And so this, the idea here is that smooth talk with an evil heart is like glaze on cracked pottery. Verses 24 through 26. Guys, you're doing great. We are almost done. Just a couple more verses. He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. And though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. So here's this idea that it's common for men and women who hate others, God or men, to disguise it with their words. And all of us have known people like that. They're kind of slithering snakes, right? Snake oil salesmen that come in, big smile on their face. They might wave to you, but you know behind that smile, man, in their heart, it's just wickedness, right? And the Bible even talks about that, about hating one another. And I was telling someone the other day that, you know, we would kind of look at our lives and we were talking to a gentleman recently and he was talking about how he's just not a, he's not necessarily a bad person, but he's not a good person, but he hasn't, he literally said this. I haven't raped or killed anybody, right? And so that's a that's a good thing, right? To know, to know about someone. It's a good thing. But the Bible tells us this. It tells us in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Hey, you've read that it's been said, right? Thou shalt not kill. But I tell you this, that if you hate your brother, you've already murdered him, right? And then in 1 John, it even tells us this. It says, Hey, listen, if you say you love God but hate your brother, then you're a what? You're a liar. And you don't love God at all. Because it's impossible to love God and hate your brother. Right? And so here's this idea of these individuals who, man, they are slick with their tongues. They'll come into a room and they'll put a smile on and they'll shake your hand or give you a hug. But you know in their heart something isn't right toward you. Ross said this, charming words might merely cover evil thoughts. Right? These individuals, they don't want to give up their hate, but they don't want to be known as haters. But the Bible tells us here that eventually their wickedness and the evil heart of the secret hater will be revealed. Verse 27, only two verses left. I just saw Maria yawn. I'm hurrying. I'm trying to go fast, Maria. I'm trying to go fast. Got two verses left. Stick with me. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. In other words, you will reap what you sow, right? I wrote this down. Malice backfires, spit boomerangs, right? Never spit in the wind. What happens? Comes right back at you, right? So malice backfires, spit boomerangs. I came across this quote. It's interesting. Um, Cardinal Benno relates the story of Pope um, Hildebrand who hired a base fellow to lay a great stone upon a beam inside of a church where Henry IV, the emperor, was known to pray. He was told to lay it in such a way that when the Pope, or sorry, when uh, the emperor was praying, the stone would fall from the top of the building and land upon the emperor's head and kill him. 
But while the wretch was attempting to do it, the stone with its weight drew him down and falling upon him, dashed him to pieces upon the pavement. And so again, here's this idea that the pit that you dug for others might be the very pit that you fall into. And the stone that you have desired to roll upon another individual may be the very stone that crushes you. And finally, verse 28. You guys have done incredible. Chapters 25 and 26. Here's verse 28. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. So liars hate their victims, and flatters sabotage trust. Kidner said this, The heart of the haters exposed in verse 28 with the fact that deceit, whether it hurts or soothes, is practical hatred since truth is vital and pride fatal to right decisions. So chapters 25 and 26. You guys want to stand with me real quick? You don't have to stand, Tina. You can, you can sit there. <laughs> so chapters 25 and 26 learned a lot about the fool, learned a lot about the lazy man, and even those individuals who have a tendency to stick their nose in other people's business and all of that is God is saying, don't be these types of people, right? Choose your friends well, right? Um, don't be lazy. Um, do the work while you can. And don't stick your nose in other people's business, right? You have enough trouble of your own. Manage it well. Give it to the Lord. So there you go. That's what I have to say today. Hope you guys, yeah, be blessed. Yeah. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, tonight we just thank you for another evening together in the Proverbs. We pray, Lord God, as we go through this, there's so much information and it came at us so quick. It's like rapid fire, but we pray that by your grace, uh, we'd be able to retain some of the lessons and the principles contained within it. We ask, Lord God, that you would bless your word to our hearts, that our lives would begin to bear fruit, and that we would reflect the glory of God um, each and every day in our thoughts, in our actions, um, in our interactions with other people, and the choices that we make, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.